invite you to join me in 1 Samuel 24 if you are not there already. First Samuel 24. And let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, even as we confess these truths in song, even as we boldly proclaim, I will hold fast to the anchor, Lord, we know that even in that, we need you, Lord. We need you to give us faith. We need you to give us strength. And we recognize that our hope is not in our holding on, but in your holding us. Lord, we recognize this evening that all of the storms and trials of this life are accomplishing your purpose in us, even as you have promised us in Scripture, for all things work together for good. We believe that, Lord. We cling to that hope, even when it's not easy to believe. But Lord, give us faith. Give us eyes to see your goodness. Patience to wait for your perfect timing. Lord, give us an eternal perspective. Even as we struggle through the trials and tribulations of this life. That we may endure. That we may testify to your goodness and your greatness. For you alone are worthy of worship. Guide our thoughts even this evening, Lord, as we turn our attention to this passage. Encourage us. Challenge us. We know that all scripture is profitable and we pray that you would work this evening through these through these verses for your glory, Lord. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. My parents are, are with us. They're here this week. And uh, it's, it's good to have them with us. I'm about to tell a story that they'll probably remember, but without fondness. My junior year of college, the summer after my junior year of college, going into my senior year, I almost dropped out of college. You see, that summer I had the opportunity to minister in an inner city youth center called Good News Ministries in Indianapolis. And I loved it. It involved a lot of basketball, which I loved. Video games, which I enjoyed. All kinds of playground games like hide and seek and tag. Most importantly, it involved telling these kids about Jesus Christ, modeling a faithful Christian life to them. It's an awesome summer, and the Lord used them mightily in my life. In fact, it was so impactful on me that at the end of the summer, I did not want to leave. At the time, Good News Ministries was, desperate, was in desperate need of an assistant youth director. And it was the perfect position for me, I thought. The problem was, I still had a, a year left of school. But, in my mind, the opportunity is here. 
The need is right now, and I am here. Why leave to go finish training somewhere else when the need is right here and I'm here now? Plus, my real fear, if I'm honest, is that this ministry that I had fallen in love with and so much wanted to do, I was worried that in the year that I left, someone else would come along and snatch it up. Thankfully, through my parents' influence and the director and youth director at Good News, I was talked into returning to school and finishing what I had started, being faithful in what the Lord called me to. I had no idea at the time that in the Lord's perfect timing, that position would still be available a year and a half later, and that they would call me, and that they would offer it to me. And that the Lord would take Chris and I back to Indianapolis, and I would be able to, to learn there, to grow there, to thrive there. I also did not know, though, that later on the Lord would lead me to a church, to Altoona Regular Baptist Church. If I had skipped that last year of school and never graduated, chances are I would not be here today. There's a few lessons for us in this story. First, children, your parents truly do know what is best. So listen to them. Secondly, and really most importantly, the Lord's timing is always best. You see, the reality is that I needed more education. I needed more maturity. I needed more experience. I simply needed more time. Time is valuable. I needed more time. I needed more training. And the Lord knew that. And the Lord knew his plan for me. Even though it didn't fit my timeline, I was ready to jump in and serve right then. I loved this ministry. But the Lord's perfect timing is always best. As we turn our attention to 1 Samuel 24, David learns this same lesson. That the Lord's way and the Lord's timing is always best. This evening we're going to see a surprise encounter and a surprise response. First thing we see is a surprise encounter in the first 15 verses of 1 Samuel 24. You might remember at the end of 1 Samuel 23, Saul is chasing David. He is in hot pursuit and he's, he's right on his heels. In fact, the, the passage in 1 Samuel 23 talks about the fact that they're on two sides of a mountain. And Saul's coming around, he's wrapping around, he's about to engulf David's little army. And at that moment, again, in the Lord's perfect timing, a messenger arrives. The Philistines are attacking, we have to go. And so Saul ends up having to take his army and to leave his pursuit of David at the moment when he's about to capture him and to go and to uh, save the rest of the land. The Lord delivers David in that time. As we turn to 1 Samuel 24, that begins with this. Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Now there's no more searching. Paul knows ex Saul knows exactly where David is. And so verse 2 tells us he takes 3,000 chosen men from all of Israel and went to seek David. 
He's serious this time. He takes the best of the best. But in verse 3, as he is traveling, he comes to the sheepholds by the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs. I don't want to get too graphic here, but generally the idea there is a restroom stop. Saul stops to go to the restroom. His guards are all on the outside, so he goes in where there's privacy. But what Saul doesn't know is that David and his men are staying in the recesses of the cave, as verse 3 tells us. I mean, what a surprising opportunity. What are the chances that, that Saul would choose the one cave where David and his men are hiding? His guards are outside. His army is outside. This is the chance. In fact, that's exactly what David's men says. This is exactly what David's men say. This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand. David, here's your chance. So David arises and he, he sneaks around and he secretly cuts off a corner of Saul's robe. You notice verse 5. It happened afterwards that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. Why does that trouble David? He didn't kill Saul, he just cut his robe. Why does it trouble David so much? The reality is that in this day, the, the Saul's robe, the robe of the king, is a sign of the king's authority. It would be like desecrating a crown or something like that. It is a sign of complete disrespect. David's heart is troubled because though he did not kill the king's anointed, he has disrespected the king's anointed. In fact, that's what we see David's response in verse 6. The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing that he is the anointed of the Lord. If you're like me, as you read that, your mind kind of questions, well, but is he? Is Saul really the Lord's anointed? Is not David the, Saul's, the, the Lord's anointed? David is the one whom, whom had been chosen to come next. David is the one for whom the Lord has provided all this. David is the one whom the Spirit of the Lord has been on. The same Spirit that had departed from Saul. Why would this be such a big deal? Why would this be wrong? In fact, not only for David to cut Saul's robe, but why would it be wrong for David to even kill Saul? God had said David was next. He had put him in position. Even Saul's own children have recognized that David is next. It is Saul who's been acting wickedly. It is Saul who has lost his mind. My great-great-grandfather had a saying. It is never right to do wrong in order to have an opportunity to do right. See, that's what David understands. If the Lord wants Saul gone, the Lord does not need David to remove him. 
Even though David has been chosen to be next, the Lord is sovereign and the Lord has not yet himself removed Saul. David's responsibility is to be faithful now. His responsibility is to trust the Lord to fulfill his promise in his time. In fact, the last time that David took things into his own hands, do you remember what happened? The priests ended up getting killed. A whole city got ransacked. Many innocent people killed. David here shows incredibly, incredible restraint. He shows incredible faith by stepping back and saying, it is God who's in control. If God wants Saul removed, God will remove him in his time. I am not going to take that step. I am not going to do one wrong in order to try to seek something that is right down the road. The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed. What, what humility, what maturity by David. Remember that he is saying this about a man who is trying to kill him. A man who is right now in pursuit of him with over 3,000 chosen men from all Israel. But David recognizes that Saul is still on the throne, therefore Saul is God's choice right now. David restrains his servants. He holds them back. And then remarkably, in verse 8, David takes a very incredibly risky step. He goes out of the cave after Saul and he cries out, my lord the king. While David had the advantage in the cave, now he's at a disadvantage. Because outside that cave, there's 3,000 chosen men. 3,000 very skilled men. David has nowhere to run. But he sees an opportunity. He falls down. He stooped with his face to the earth. He bowed down. He shows respect and honor to Saul. And he explains to Saul, what are you doing? Why are you listening to these men who are telling you that I am trying to kill you? I am not trying to kill you. I'm simply trying to serve the Lord. David had a perfect opportunity. If his intent was truly to harm Saul, he would have done it. This day, David has proven that he is not after Saul. Let the Lord judge between you and me, he says in verse 12. Let the Lord avenge me on you. Notice that even while David here does not take things into his own hand, he also does not let Saul off the hook. He doesn't excuse Saul's actions. He just says, I'm going to let the Lord avenge me on you. My hand shall not be against you. My hand shall not be against you, he says again. In fact, notice the humility of David here. Who, who are you after? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog? 
a flea. I am nothing. I am not worthy of your attention. I am not trying to kill you. So let the Lord be judge and judge between you and me and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hands. This is a surprise encounter. David shows incredible faith. Incredible restraint. Incredible patience. And I think these things are a testimony to David's very faith. To his view of God. He knows that his God is in control. He knows that he is good. He knows that his sovereign hand is at work. Therefore, David can be faithful because he knows that God is faithful. God has made him promises that God will fulfill. Next you see a surprise response. From what we know of Saul at this point in the story, what do we expect? We expect Saul just to go charging in with his army, right? Here's my opportunity. But notice what it says. When David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? He lifted up his voice and wept. A surprising reaction. In fact, not only does he weep, not only is he incredibly sad over this, as his sin, it really is laid out before him. But he even really goes on to confess it, verse 17. He said to David, you are more righteous than I. You've rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. Compared to to David's righteous works here, David's faithful restraint, against that backdrop, Saul sees his great wickedness. How foolish he has been. You've shown this day how you have dealt well with me. When the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Therefore the Lord, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And here's the really remarkable statement. And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king. And that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Is this not the very reason that Saul is after David? And yet here in this moment of clarity, against the mercy that David has shown him, he confesses, I know that you're going to be king. In fact, is this not what Jonathan had just told David a chapter earlier? I know that you will be king, and even my father knows that you will be king. Note how the Lord is constantly encouraging David, constantly reminding him of the promise that he has made. The Lord has told him, anointed him, set him aside to be king, apart to be king. 
prophets have recognized that. The king's son has recognized that. Now the king himself, Saul, recognizes and affirms what the Lord has said. A constant reminder to David's troubled soul. God has not forgotten his promise. I mean, who would expect that Saul, of all people, would be the one to affirm this message to David? To comfort him, to encourage his heart. You will be king. The kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. In fact, he makes a request of David in light of that. Swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants. You will not destroy my name from my father's house. David swore to Saul. Saul went home and David and his men went up to the stronghold. By waiting on the Lord, instead of taking things into his own hands, David keeps a clean conscience. He gains an encouraged heart. And he secures a peaceful agreement. And behind this entire passage, just like we've seen behind every interaction with David and Saul, really every passage of scripture we turn to behind all of this is the sovereign hand of a good God who's accomplishing his purpose in his perfect timing. This is a moment of clarity for both David and Saul. David in this moment recognizes God's perfect timing. He submits, Lord, now is not the time. I'm willing to wait because I know that you will be faithful. Saul recognizes here his own foolishness and sin in a moment of clarity that is uncharacteristic for him. He confesses that he has been wicked. He confesses that David will be king. He submits even here to the Lord's plan. A passage like this is a challenge to you and I. It's an encouragement to us. It reminds us that truly God's Timing is best. He does know what he's doing. The question this evening is not whether God is in control. It's whether you are willing to trust him. To submit your timeline to his timeline. Don't be so eager to arrive at your destination that you overlook the value of the blessings along the way. Sometimes those blessings hurt, but they are good. And in the end, they are accomplishing God's good purpose in you. So brothers and sisters, trust the Lord and be patient. For he is good and his timing is perfect and his will will be accomplished. We're going to close the preaching portion of our service as we move towards communion with the song that we sang earlier my anchor holds we're going to sing verses 1 um, verses 1 and 4 
But I love the chorus of this song. I mean, just verse 1. Though the angry surges roll on my tempest-driven soul, I am peaceful. For I know, wildly though the winds may blow, I have an anchor safe and sure that can evermore endure. And it holds. My anchor holds. So because my anchor holds, because my God is faithful, then blow your wildest then, O gale, on my bark so small and frail, because by grace I shall not fail, for my anchor holds. So brothers and sisters, this evening, in faith we confess and we commit our timeline, our will to the Lord, and we proclaim, blow your wiles then, O gale, because I know that my anchor holds. I know that my God is good. I know that his will is best. Even in the storm, his timing is perfect. So like David, I will stand in confidence for my anchor holds. Let's stand together and sing number 178, verses 1 and 4. You may be seated. I invite our deacons who will be serving this evening if they will come forward at this time. And as they're coming, just a reminder that as we come to this table, it is that same hope that we are proclaiming. As we come to the Lord's table this evening, we're looking back to the cross. We're looking back to Jesus' sacrifice, his self-sacrificial love for us. 
His blood that was shed. His body that was broken. We're looking at, we're remembering his resurrection on my behalf for my sin. And yet at the same time, we're looking forward in faith and hope to the promise that he has given that I am coming again. In fact, 1 Corinthians 11.26 tells us this, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So this evening we have the privilege to look back, to remember, to look forward and hope and to proclaim to one another the Lord's death, knowing that he is coming again. So you do not have to be a member of Altoona Regular Baptist Church to join us at this table. But you do have to be a faithful Christian, someone who has placed your faith in Christ alone for salvation, who's been obedient in believer's baptism, who is walking faithfully with the Lord. And if that describes you, then I invite you to come and to join us and to proclaim the Lord's death with us. With that in mind, let's pause for a second. I'd encourage you to search your heart and not to come to this table lightly, but to recognize what you are proclaiming, the very thing that you are remembering, the hope that you are looking for. Let's take a second to search our hearts, to confess any sins that might be there, and to repair our hearts as we come to this table. Heavenly Father, this evening we do come to this table in hope. Even as we look back to the cross of Jesus Christ and we remember that sacrifice on our behalf, as we rejoice in the salvation that is ours by grace alone, so, Lord, we too look forward in hope And we rejoice knowing that Jesus Christ is coming again. That what you have begun in us, you will complete. And so, Lord, in this hour, as we take this bread and drink this cup and we proclaim our hope to one another, may your name be lifted high. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Adam, will you please pray, praising the Lord for the body of Jesus Christ that was broken for us.
1 Corinthians eleven twenty three and 24. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us eat. Ron Harris, will you please pray, praising the Lord for the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us.
1 Corinthians 11.25 In the same manner he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. Let us drink. At this time, I invite you to stand. And uh, members of Altoona Regular Baptist Church, I invite you to join as we say our church covenant together, reminding each other of the covenant that we have made. Having been led, as we believe, by the Spirit of God to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, and on profession of our faith, having been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, we do now, in the presence of God, angels, and this assembly, most solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant with one another, as one body in Christ, to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called. We promise, by the aid of the Holy Spirit, to forsake the paths of sin and to walk in the ways of holiness all the days of our lives. With this in view, we engage to strive together for the advancement of this church in knowledge, holiness, and comfort, to promote its prosperity and spirituality, to sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines, to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spreading of the gospel throughout all nations. We also engage to maintain family and secret devotion and to religiously educate our children, to seek the salvation of our kindred and acquaintances, to walk circumspectly in the world, to be just in our dealings and faithful in our engagements, to be exemplary in our deportment, to avoid all tattling, backbiting, and excessive anger, to abstain from the use and sale of intoxicating liquors as a beverage, to make Christ first in all things, both spiritual and temporal. We further engage to walk together in Christian love and watchfulness, giving and receiving admonition with meekness and affection, to remember each other in prayer, and to aid each other in case of sickness and distress, to cultivate Christian sympathy in feeling and courtesy in speech, to be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation and mindful of the rules of our Savior to secure it without delay. We moreover engage that when we remove from this place, we will as soon as possible unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of the Word of God. You may be seated. At this time, we'll be taking our Deacon's Fund offering. As many of you are aware, our Deacon's Fund is a fund that is uh, set aside for the deacons to use uh, at their discretion to meet needs uh, that may not be more widely known in the church uh, to meet needs. And so uh, it's a great way, giving to the Deacon's Fund, for you to love one another um, uh, sacrificially, even as we have been learning in Ephesians. So Mark, will you please pray as we take our Deacon's Fund offering? Lord, we're thankful for this opportunity. Share our blessings with those in need. Give the deacons wisdom as they uh, disperse that. 
Lord, again, we're thankful for all that you do for each and every one of us and the love that you show toward us. In Christ's name, amen. <laughs> We do have a fellowship this evening that you're all invited upstairs to join us for that. Just a couple uh, announcements real quick before we are dismissed and, pr and pray and head up there. Uh, deacons, if I can meet with you quickly uh, right here in our conference room following the service. Also, be sure to check the sign-up sheets out on the Welcome Center. We need nursery workers. Uh, this is your last chance to sign up uh, for... Um, uh, leading in prayer and reading scripture, if that is something that you would like to participate in, that is out there as well. Um, and then also men's prayer breakfasts coming up next Saturday morning. I'd invite you men to plan to join us for that. Let's close with a word of prayer. Um, we'll pray for our food and then we'll be dismissed upstairs. Caleb, Tally, do you want to pray for us as we close our service?